I love tequila and make no secret of that. It's a long love affair and so far a long distance love affair. But I have a vision of visiting the Jalisco region of Mexico where tequila is made and standing at the foot of the volcan de tequila, the volcano, in a field of blue agave plants as the sun sets. I will get there someday for that moment. I also really want to see how the tequila is made and do plenty of tasting. There is a mythology, a mystique to tequila that goes back a thousand years. The indigenous peoples of Mexico, the Olmecs, then the Aztecs, used agave for many things. They fermented a drink called pulque, used in all sorts of ceremonies. It's low in alcohol. It was given to mothers and then fed to generations of babies. The Spanish conquerors brought European methods of distilling, and that's how early mezcal and tequila were made. There's a beautifully written and photographed documentary called Spirit of a Nation. And the final passage goes like this, an ode to agave. This prehistoric plant, a living dinosaur, a vehicle for the secrets of the soil, following generations of tradition, transformed by fire, distilled to its essence, to become a piece of our culture, to be shared with the world. Isn't that beautiful? I've been turning friends out of the pleasures of tequila for many years. For one, it's much lower in calories than most other liquors. My tequila tastes are not narrow. I drink Blanco, Reposado, and Añejo. I also love Mezcal, tequila's earthier, smokier cousin. I'm not picky about brands, but I do limit it to top shelf, thank you. Uh, my favorite tequila brand is Casa Dragones. The special sipping variety is called Hoven. It's expensive, just like a fine wine or a whiskey, but it is delicious, neat, room temperature, no lime, nothing else needed. But as impressed as I am with Casa Dragones, I'm equally impressed with the co-founder and CEO of the brand, Berta Gonzalez Nieves. And this episode is a story of the entrepreneurial spirit as told through tequila. Berta is a trailblazer, the first to earn the distinction Maestra Tequilera, female master distiller of tequila. She'd been called the first lady of tequila. Berta followed her passion, trusted her gut, took risks. She still treats challenges as opportunities and approaches each venture with determination, but also great humility. Bertha, thank you so much for taking time. We have a small batch podcast, which is a perfect fit for talking about uh, Castro Dragones. And, and I want to get your initial opinion. As someone who is the producer of, I think, the best tasting tequila out there, what sets the spirit of tequila apart from all the others? What makes it uniquely special in your view? I think there's a lot of different things that make it very unique. And uh, I think that uh, first, it really represents the social fabric of Mexico. You know, we celebrate with tequila, we mourn with tequila, and we kind of like, we celebrate life with tequila. And I think that that alone encompasses the spirit of culture in Mexico. That's, that's something that, you know, people know around the world. And uh, I also think that the spirit itself comes from 100% agave and, uh, and, and the plant itself is really, uh, um, agave in Latin means illustrious, admirable, and noble. It's really an extraordinary plant. So I think together with the spirit of Mexico, that the, the, the social fabric of our country, together with um, this um, spirit of celebration and these beautiful plants, I think it really makes the spirit stand out from, from any other around the world. 
When did tequila find you? When did the passion for this spirit, I know you've been in the business for decades and we'll get to the, your progression, but when did the spirit first find you? Um, I had the fortune to be selected by the Japanese government in a, in a, in a program uh, in my early 20s. And as part of my training, I had to learn all about Mexico's um, you know, industries, history, economy, uh, folklore, um, the arts, and so on. And as part of my training, I traveled throughout Mexico and I got invited to go to Tequila Jalisco for three days. And after the second day of being there, I called my parents and I told them, I know what I want to do. I want to go into the tequila industry. And my parents were like, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, I'm the youngest of three and the only daughter. So I think that they grew up, I grew up with them seeing me as an entrepreneur. I did a lot of different businesses growing up. So they thought if this gets into her heart and her soul, there's no way we're going to convince her not to go into the industry. But I also was very young. So they thought, well, maybe this is a flavor of the month. You know, she's going to fall in love with it and then fall in love with something else. So it'll pass. And since then, it's been the flavor of the month till now. I love that story because you said day two of your exposure to it. So it's almost like a lightning bolt hits. And I've heard other people say that. There, there is that moment where you understand this is something beautiful. This is something powerful. This is something I want to be involved in. You, you mentioned your entrepreneurial spirit and, and the small businesses when you were younger. How young? Were you just a young girl and always the idea of starting a business and having an idea and taking a risk and investing in that? Yeah, somehow I probably didn't uh, present it the way you are presenting it. But I did love having an idea and then pursuing the idea. And sometimes, somehow the thrill of actually having that idea and executing that idea, like, you know, really kind of took over. And, uh, and yeah, I've, since I was from 13 to 15 to 17, um, I did a lot of little different things here and there. And always like, you know, had a little bit of money and then tried a different thing and then a little bit more money. And then, you know, every December I did something different. What kind of products? What were the, what were the businesses? What were, what were you selling at that point? Um, one, of my, one of my ideas was to have, uh, I was tired of going to the store to buy like holiday cards and never really finding a card that actually want, represented me. So um, I had a great friend that had an important printing house in Mexico and another one that had, and so I uh, hired a cartoonist and briefed him on six different cards. And I wanted to do kind of like the cool Santa, you know, uh, cards. And, um, and I did six cards that I sold in consignment all over Mexico City. And uh, so I put them in the trunk of my car and I drove around and like put them in all the different, like really big um, kind of like malls and uh, gifting uh, stores. And uh, so that was an adventure. I decided that becoming the hallmark of Mexico was not going to be that straightforward, <laughs> but I did execute the whole idea and I see it through and I was able to finance it and made a little money and other ideas where I sold, um, a friend of my mother went to Thailand and brought all these different baskets and then she didn't want to do that business. So she said, if you can do something with the baskets, I'll give them to you. So I decided, well, I'm going to sell wine in, in, in the baskets and sparkling wine. So I, I did like a whole section of baskets and I shot them and I created a catalog and I put it in all the different mailboxes in my neighborhood. And that, 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 that winter, that, that holiday season, I did really well. Um, and uh, so those are two ideas. And as I evolved in my career, the ideas just started to, be, you know, started to become more complex and more, um, you know, I guess more audacious. 
And, uh, and just the thrill of following that idea and executing it has always, I've always found great thrill and satisfaction in actually doing that and felt comfortable doing so. Even though when you feel the uncomfort of the unknown and the, 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 the thrill of the adventure and the combination of not knowing if you're gonna survive or not, um, somehow the combination of all those experiences uh, is something that where I find exciting. So many people find the idea of being an entrepreneur exciting more and more because the spark of the idea is what they focus on. You point out it's the hard work that follows the idea that actually makes it more than an idea, makes it a success. And I think some people aren't fully aware of that when they dive in. So you, you have this entrepreneurial background, but then you go to work for the world's oldest and largest producer of tequila, Jose Cuervo, a company that actually, I believe, predates Mexican independence, 250 years old. They account for a huge percentage of tequila sales, especially in the United States. So you work for this massive company. Tell me about the spark of the idea to go off on your own and do something different. You use the word audacious. So Casa Dragones maybe is the most audacious idea that you had to that point because you choose to start this company in the middle of very, very challenging economic times. 2008, 2009, the global economic downturn devaluation of the peso in Mexico. There are easier times to start a business. So take, take us through the, the spark of the idea to leave Jose Cuervo and start your own brand. So, um, you know, it, I, had, I really feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to work for Grupo Cuervo, uh, the eldest tequila producer. And really the history of the company is, is the history of tequila. And, uh, and, and, and really it's, it's, it's one of a family-owned business that has put the name of tequila, and, and, their, and their, their, their history is really something to admire, you know, as Mexican entrepreneurs and as a family-owned uh, business by generations. So I realized at some point that even though it felt in my heart as my own company, that, um, that it was never really going to be my company. And, and knowing that, you know, I've always, you know, wanted to be an entrepreneur, while I was there, I, I, I invested in a, in a magazine in Mexico City that was uh, called Revista Diefe, with, uh, that was kind of like a hybrid of New York Magazine and Time Out for Mexico City, which was really cool. And then uh, in, a, in, a, in a film. And I was kind of like getting into these Mexican projects and I was reminded about that thrill. You know, that thrill suddenly like came into my life again. And I was like, I do love, you know, being in this incredible company but really my dream is to be an entrepreneur in the tequila industry. That's when I had that moment of um, seeking that thrill and seeking that excitement and seeking that opportunity, you know, to really have the opportunity to be part of the tequila producers that are shaping the industry for the future. I think that all of the characteristics that you speak about, uh, the, the challenging times, you know, where, where we decided to become entrepreneurs, of course, we were taking that into consideration, but Opportunities not always come in the best uh, of the characteristics of climatic characteristics, whether it's business characteristics or whatever, whatever the characteristics are when you're going to start a business. Opportunities pass by and you need to be ready to just, you know, grab them and seize them. And I think that um, by the time this opportunity came along, I was so obsessed with the idea of becoming an entrepreneur with that, in the tequila industry. And I was so enamored about having the opportunity to produce my own tequila, to have the chance to expand the tequila repertoire really through innovation and expanding the taste and the profile of the category, that that's the only thing that I could see. 
I mean, I did see there was a crisis. I did, it, it was there, but in my, in, in, in my vision, the opportunity of having the chance to fulfill a dream was kind of like at the forefront of my, you know, of my speedometer, you know, and then um, all of these other characteristics shaped, appeared <laughs> and challenged us as we were moving in our, in our, in our journey. And I think that as entrepreneurs, you really do have to have a combination of determination, passion, knowledge of your subjects, even though when you become an entrepreneur, you think you know a lot and then you realize how little you, you, do, you really do know, but really truly have an, an unwavering passion for your subject or for your service or for your product that, um, you know, you wake up every morning and go to bed every morning thinking about it and wanting to learn more about it and being humble about it. Um, and that's, you know, uh, when we started selling Casa Dragones Joven, which uh, you and I are enjoying a glass together now. Yes, we are. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Salud. <laughs> Salud. We realized, you know, we wanted to do the best possible product we could bring to the marketplace. And I had the deal with Bob Pittman that my co-founder, the founder of MTV and the current CEO of iHeartMedia, that if we were not able to truly deliver a tequila that was truly expanding the tequila repertoire in taste, credentials, and quality, that we were not going to bring the product to market. You can only imagine I had already quit my job. Um, I was, you know, I mean, I, I was living in New York already and uh, how determined I was on making this work, you know, because there was, for me, there was no plan B. Plan B was probably going back to living with my, with my parents in Mexico City. So, um, so by the time we knew we had something really special and we brought it into the marketplace and we were committed to quality and craftsmanship, we ended up entering into the, into the tequila category at the highest echelon of, of, of the industry. Even though from a mission perspective, we knew we wanted to prove that tequila can actually compete with other high-end uh, categories like single malts and whiskeys and cognacs. And we wanted to prove that Mexico and tequila has the credentials and the history to be able to do that. Um, we, we were in the middle of the 2009 crisis introducing a product um, at a very, I mean, a high price point. And that's the only product that we sold for the first five years of the company. That's why I said it's a, it's a massive leap. It's an ultra premium, expensive to produce brand introduced in, in, in tough economic times. You, you said humbling. Many entrepreneurs have echoed that word because it's this combination of bravado. You have to kind of fake it a bit. You have to sell yourself. You have to go raise the money. But also when, when the doors are shut and you're by yourself, you know how much there is to learn. I love your line that you always want to be a student, remain a student because there are always new things to learn. Where did that philosophy come from? How does that apply to what you're doing now? I think that um, as an entrepreneur, you're, you know, you're constantly learning. I think uh, it's, 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 I think that change is the only constant and you have to stay really agile on turning either challenges and opportunities into real platforms for growth for your company. So um, in order to be able to do that, you just have to know that what you used yesterday is not going to be the same solution that you're going to need tomorrow. So I think that um, approaching it from the perspective of, uh, of really studying the situation and really being um, having a, a wide degree of versatility to be able to approach an opportunity or a challenge is required to build a company. 
all spirits or most spirits, and certainly tequila, fundamentally an agricultural business. You have to grow the beautiful blue agave plants. So how did you arrive at this t- at the taste for the Hoven, which is, for people who don't know, is a, is a Blanco tequila sort of mixed with an Añejo and then filtered so that it, it's a beautiful clear color but has a richness and flavor. How did you arrive at that? What were the, the days in the fields finding the plants and then mixing and testing and, and tasting again? And, and finally you said, this, this is the taste we want to put in these bottles. So, I, I mean, with Joven, um, what we, we wanted to do, we didn't start saying we're going to do a Joven and we're going to do a blend. We, we started by saying what we want to do is we want to prove that tequila can compete with other sipping spirits, number one. We, wanna, we want people to give us the opportunity to drink tequila and say, I'm going to sip on my single malt and I'm going to sip on my tequila. You know, so we wanted to, that was our aspiration. And we also wanted to prove that tequila is not only a great companion to Mexican cuisine, that tequila can also be paired with Italian cuisine and French cuisine and Japanese cuisine and so on. So we said, we've really built our portfolio by addressing consumption locations rather than styles. So that's kind of like what we set off to do. And in order to do that, we decided that um, we found this uh, line um, that we still have in, 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 in our production facility in Mexico that says, in order to create, you must forget. And uh, so having a carte blanche, even though that the people that are in Casa Dragones, we have dedicated our career to the tequila industry. We were starting from scratch. We didn't have anything. We couldn't follow an established production. We couldn't follow anything. We had to really decide what route we were going to take. So and I think having a carte blanche could be either overwhelming or it could actually be an opportunity. And we saw it as like, this will force us to not do what we've learned or try and do mm. what we think we know this will force us to actually take our own route which what was- do you think is different what what is innovative uh, and and unique about about the hoven and, and the, the taste that you arrived at that, that sets it apart what did you have to to forget in order to create so create the, this? i mean I, i'll give you some examples uh casa dragon is joven joven first of all there's a, five official classifications of tequila you have blanco reposado añejo Este, blanco, reposado, añejo, extrañejo, and joven. So those are the five classifications. For some reason, joven is an overlooked style in the tequila category in 100% agave. So we did not set off saying we're going to do a joven, but we started playing with blending different styles. We started blend, we, we actually sourcing agave from different regions by doing, um, you know, we, we really tried a lot of different efforts to see what was going to take us to really truly deliver a tequila that could actually have on its label sipping tequila. We want people to really give us the opportunity to sip and savor. And if you have one or two sips of our product, that the product is really inviting you to take your time, inviting you to cherish and to really like relish on the complexity and taste that we've been able to deliver. So when we found this beautiful blend of a Blanco tequila with uh, extra aged tequila that we're aging in new American white oak casks, uh, for more than three years, you do these blends, and what you get is you're getting the floral and the citrus notes of the Blanco tequila, balanced with the sweetness and the spice of the extra aged tequila. And then we also learned that because we wanted to pair it with food, that both chefs and consumers gave us a much bigger opportunity to pair 
if we took the color of the extra aged tequila out. So we found those shells being able to go on both sweet and savory roots by pairing with food, by actually doing that. And it was risky, right? Because usually color is tied to time on barrels, therefore should is tied to price point. So being able to come out with a product that's a joven, that's, a, that's really not a well-known style in the tequila category and then a blend, but we took the color of the extra aged out, all these different things, you know. And that was the risk taking. You talk about taking risks and those, those are risks, right? People would have said, Bertha, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. That's not, that's going to be harder to sell. It's going to be harder to get customers to spend a few hundred dollars a bottle, which is what the, the Hoven goes for if you do this. But you just, you just stuck with the vision and believed in it, obviously. And I think that um, we also thought that when will we ever have the opportunity to do something truly unique? You know, we also found satisfaction in the, in, in having the opportunity to do something different in having, we really aspire to expand that tequila repertoire through taste and craftsmanship and really let the consumer, the tequila lover decide, you know, if we did surprise their palate and if we can actually aspire to become part of their repertoire. We also think that today the consumer is interacting with, with categories. No one no longer drinks only one tequila or one wine or one, you know, one whiskey. It's all about exploration. So if we can be specific, have a strong point of view and have a real approach to what we're trying to do, we think that we have the chance to truly becoming a long-term house in the tequila category. The evolution of tequila and tequila consumption, at least in America, because fine tequila, small batch tequila has obviously been enjoyed by Mexicans for a long time, but exported to the world, it, it's not that many decades that it's gone on. And you know the reputation of tequila in this country. When I was younger, before I discovered premium brands like yours, and you know, tequila was something you, you drank as quickly as possible, with lime and salt because the flavor wasn't so good. And, and it was about, you know, getting a buzz and having a party, not, not sipping something like a fine single malt or a fine small batch bourbon, which your tequila now certainly stands up with, uh, the, the top spirits in the world. So for, for many people, it is a huge leap who are, who are not that familiar with the culture of, of tequila. And I think that, uh, you know, we're very committed to our appellation of origin. We think, well, we know, I mean, the appellation belongs to Mexico. So we believe that if we can actually contribute to the, to the future of our category, um, you know, the next generations will be able to take the appellation further. So for us, it's all about paying homage to all the entrepreneurs that came before us, be as dedicated as they were, be as visionary, aspire to be as visionary as they were, and then, you know, really contribute in, in platforms of education uh, where, you know, we really do go uh, uh, really spreading uh, the, the base, the, the baseline and the fundamentals of the appellation of origin to make sure that we can awaken more interest into the category and that people can value it, that tequila industry more and more and more so that we can aspire to have a fair share of the, of the luxury segment of the spirits industry. So your second tequila in your category is, is the Blanco, makes beautiful cocktails which gets me to the question of which, what's your favorite tequila cocktail? We know the margarita was born in the 30s and helped make tequila famous worldwide. If, if you are mixing a, a cocktail, what, uh, what would be your, your tequila cocktail of choice these days? My favorite way of, of, of serving the Blanco at home, because I'm not a mixologist, um, I aspire to be one, but I'm not really one. 
uh, I serve it with a two-inch ice cube and a twist of grapefruit. Very specific. Uh, so you don't mix specific. anything with it. So so you really are not a, a, a tequila cocktail oh, lover. Oh, I'm a tequila cocktail lover, but I, I let the experts do the, ah, okay, do the cocktails. Okay. <laughs> My favorite cocktail is when I have the opportunity to connect with a new mixologist and they interpret the product and go on a direction that I've never experienced before. That exercise of us presenting the product and then the mixologist coming back with something truly unique and going through that interpretation of our product in the experience of taste, that is my favorite, favorite exercise. Um, I do love to drink a Blanco with a chaser of Sangrita. It's very classical Mexican style. Sangrita is uh, the traditional chaser uh, of tequila and it's usually based tomato, um, juice with orange, citrus, a little bit of a jalapeno, like, you know, sliced very thinly with onion and, and cilantro. And it's a very nice and beautiful, um, it's like a deconstructed Bloody Mary, but small. And, uh, and, 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 but many of the above, I can tell you, I love the San Miguel that was done by Jim Meehan uh, from PDT, that um, it's an old fashioned, but made with uh, Casa Dragones Blanco, which is a very classic cocktail. Um, and like that, you know, I can, I, can, I can talk about cocktails for an hour. I mean, I love cocktails. <laughs> no, I think I do too. I, whenever I see them, and they're increasingly apparent on, on cocktail lists. Uh, you're right. You can, you can go clean and fresh, uh, citrus, cucumber. You can also go very spicy. I think obviously tequila pairs very, you mentioned jalapeno, pairs very well with, with, with a spice in, in, in a cocktail too. So uh, let, let's back up and, and go back to, you've now got these bottles full of Casa uh, Rigones Joven set to go to market. Now you have to see how it's going to work in the marketplace. I, I read that you were so nervous when the first truck of bottles <laughs> left for the world, because that is the big leap that you take. You need to see how it's going to work at that point for the consumer. When I was ready to like uh, for to, to close a container, I was so nervous that I wanted to go with that container to make sure you know nothing was gonna go wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that um, we started selling in New York City and in Mexico City, in Mexico City, then in New York City. And um, at that price point, really, no one's gonna do the job for you. So we. Uh, we went to the streets and sold our product and learned so much. You know, we really learned about um, no one was going to teach us why our product didn't work in the marketplace. We wanted to see it for ourselves. And we really wanted to understand how what we thought was an, an, a great product. How, how can you translate that and how can you sell that and how can you connect genu genuinely with, with the trade? And, um, and I think and with a consumer. So for the first five years, we only sold Hoven and produced Hoven. We counted in bottles because counting in cases was depressing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and well, my board meetings, it was better to count in bottles because, you know, it sounded like, you know, thousands of bottles. But uh, um, and then in, eventually, as the years went by, we moved into cases. But the day we moved into cases, we did a party. Yeah, we really like did a party in the office. It was like it was like we were growing up. And uh, and after five years <laughs> of doing our Hoven, we then we had the idea that it was the right time for us to continue to tell our story as producers and more importantly as well um, have that white space to be able to go on another journey to innovate you know for us 
uh, obviously building a profitable business uh, that creates a platform for uh, you know for for our team to discover their potential and grow in their professional careers, but also for us to really be entrepreneurs and be creative. You know, we get a lot of our a, a lot of uh, our gasoline from this exercise of innovation. That really is why we became entrepreneurs. And that's why if you look at the history of our company, you saw we did Hoven for five years. Then for our 50th anniversary, we introduced our Blanco. And then for our 10th anniversary, uh, when we had Blanco and Hoven really underway, really on their own commercial uh, route, um, and that we have the white space to go again and really explore, that's where uh, the idea of coming with an Añejo came along. Um, we really always go on passion points and passion interests. And we were starting to really become enamored with the idea of, of honing into our aging and blending expertise. And that's where we thought the right next step for, for, our, for our labels was to deliver a, a Añejo tequila that um, went on a journey of taste. I think for people who aren't familiar with the highest end sipping tequilas, but they enjoy a single malt whiskey or they enjoy fine bourbon. That barrel aged tequila, that that añejo is first of all, it's remarkable. You, you've really done something unique. You can taste the blend of woods. So much comes through. It's it's really it's really lovely. And I think for people that enjoyed other whiskeys, other fine spirits, it's it's an experience they need to have because uh, you can now drink tequila, which is healthier for you than those things. It's less calories and it tastes very reminiscent of the finest kind of brown liquors that, that the world has produced. So well done. So we age our tequila in French oak and then American oak custom make barrels. And then we do this beautiful master blend at the end of the process, delivering uh, this very unique tasting Añejo tequila. Well, I discovered the Joven in 2012 when my wife Jennifer gave it to me as a Christmas gift. And she was made aware of it by Oprah, the source of much wisdom in the world. And Oprah put it on her list of favorite things. I imagine that was one of the turning points early on when people became aware of this and then more customers began to go, if, if Oprah loves this, it must be great. How can I get a hold of this? I mean, that's, that's how we found it initially, nine years ago. Well, you know, I remember exactly the moment I was on my way to the airport. And suddenly, like, my phone started to ring nonstop. So I pick up and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, they tell me, are you in the internet? Just log into your Facebook. Oprah is giving a Facebook Live right now with uh, Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook. They're launching Insta Facebook Live. And they're, she's in a fireside chat. And they're asking her about all these things. And so they ask her, um, you know, wine or spirits? And, she's, and she shouts tequila. And then, and then she says, don't, and she tells Cheryl, like, don't you want to know what my favorite tequila is? And Cheryl says, yeah, of course. She's like, well, I just fell in love with this new tequila out there that comes in a blue box in a crystal decanter and inside dear God. So that for <laughs> us was like, we, I, I mean, it was like a changing point for us and Oprah um, really, I cannot tell you how grateful and how proud we are that she did that. And then she put us in Oprah's favorite things many, many years with our, with our Joven, with our Blanco. She showcased our Añejo. She's had me on showcases of, you know, female entrepreneurship and CEOs. And uh, she's really championed. She, she is the, the quintessential champion of entrepreneurs. So um, we're really grateful for, for her love of tequila and for her, prefer, for, for her love in Casa Dragones. So yes, she's been, she, that's one of our turning points without a doubt. 
Your title besides a CEO is Maestra Tequilera, which is master distiller of tequila with the, the Spanish female suffix. You were the first to have that title. I know you weren't aware of it, you said at the time, but that is pioneering stuff, Berta, and, and it must be a source of pride, even though I know you, you don't overplay that. I know, absolutely. I think that uh, I didn't get it without objective, but uh, I'm very proud and, and I hope that this is, uh, you know, that uh, any woman that has a passion to come into the spirits industry or the tequila category or any agave spirits uh, um, that they fall in love with, that um, we are living in different times and that um, we, today we truly have the chance, you know, if we prepare ourselves and we have a strong point of view, that uh, there's, 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 there's a window and there's an opportunity for everyone in the industry. Well, for so long, the people that control the flow of capital for entrepreneurs are, are males. Mm -hmm. And it's been challenging, according to many female entrepreneurs, to sort of gain access to that, to kick the door down. Did you face challenges? Because you're not just a, an entrepreneur, but in the spirits industry and tequila, it's a macho culture. It's a male-dominated industry, period. What were the challenges that you had to sort of stare down and overcome when you were starting? I told my, my mentors uh, when I got my title that I almost had to grow a mustache for them to accept <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, you don't know what you don't know, really. Like as a, as a woman in the tequila industry, yeah, I realized the day that I came into the industry and I looked around the second day in my, in my job, I was like, oh, there's not a lot of women in, the, in, in, in this office, <laughs> let alone the industry. So I think that early on, I really wanted to make sure that I was not going to be pigeonholed as a woman in the industry, that I always aspire to be, uh, you know, respected as a professional in the, in the tequila category. And yes, very proud to be a woman. And yes, very proud to be an entrepreneur. But first and foremost, I just want to make sure that I, I'm, I, I am, you know, I, that I establish myself as a professional in the spirits industry, in the tequila category. And, uh, and if, I can, if I can do that well, then I can actually carry uh, uh, the, the, the flag of women in the industry in a very good way, rather than the, on, the other way around. Well, being an example, a, a successful example, and the way you've gone about it, though, that serves as an inspiration. You, you must have had some communication from women saying, Bertha, thank you for what you've done. It must be, well, you tell me, what, what did it mean to you to get that kind of feedback, to be, even though you weren't setting out to be, a, a symbol and an and inspirational No, pioneer. I feel really proud, and I hope I can, you know, I can continue to do it in a way that it, it sets a great example, and uh, an example, and, and it's motivational and inspiring for other women to, to do whatever they want to do, to follow their passion, to follow their dreams, to follow their careers, to discover their potential in their own industries. Because the, the reality is, is that, you know, most industries are male dominated industries at the top. Uh, it's just the nature of how the professional world has, um, has been developed. And I think that we are in a, in a, in a breaking, uh, breaking the glass ceiling or a breaking point where, you know, that's changing very rapidly. So I think that I feel, I feel very proud and I feel a lot of responsibility, you know, to make sure that uh, I, I, I do the best job that I can. And, um, and the same that I think about the tequila category of living it and contributing to it in uh, our appellation of origin, the same I feel for, for female in, in the spirits industry. You know, I just want to make sure that um, 
um, we continue to charge forward um, with uh, with a lot of uh, passion and a lot of determination, and um, and hopefully leaving the workplace in a place where you know it's 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 more even for everyone to jump in. Well, your example has been an inspiration. There are now a small number of tequila companies that are run by women, some of them quite new, and, and Mezcal as well. So it's getting a little bit better. The, it, there's being more acceptance and more open-mindedness. So it's great that you've played a part in that, for sure. Uh, celebrities involved in the spirits category, but particularly tequila and Mezcal seems to be attractive. You know, Sammy Hagar, first it was a bar in Cabo San Lucas, then it was Cabo Wabo, which he sold. Now he's involved with Guy Fieri and a new... Um, uh, Enterprise, George Clooney, Randy Gerber, Casamigos, they sold that. Um, Brian Cranston, Aaron Paul are involved in, in a, a mezcal. What is your reaction to, to folks pairing with master distillers? They're not, they're not down there doing the work themselves. People who know what they're doing are producing the, the brands, but they're trying to use their celebrity power to sort of get into the category. Do you view that as competition? I certainly think that uh, they bring a lot of attention to the category. So I think that's that's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that they're bringing more people into the category and building more awareness. So um, and I, I think that as long as everyone is contributing to the future of the of, of the category and of the industry, um, I think that, uh, um, you know, why not? You said that you have to continue to take risks as you as you go forward. You've now got you've got three tequilas. Um, and I, if you follow the pattern, it'll be a while before you introduce another one. But but what is what is the future of the of the company? The future of the company is for us to continue to have the opportunity to innovate and bring uh, you know labels that are truly continue to enamor the tequila lover and hopefully seduce other spirit lovers and bring them into the tequila category or you know seduce them to come into the tequila category and from there they can go into another other agave spirits. Um, so for us is having the opportunity to really build a long-term player in our industry that has, um, a, a really a long-term play. Uh, we want, we want, we want to be able to see Casa Dragones, you know, be a house that can, you know, subsist the, the, the challenges of time. Tell me quickly about the people in Jalisco, the people down on the farm who are growing the agave, who are, who are chopping it down, who are doing the, the agricultural work to get this plant ready for production and what is what is their reaction to the success of this brand and it's it's you know the fact that it's selling around the world and is viewed as an an ultra premium spirit i think there's a lot of pride you know i think people are really proud of the work that we're all doing together and uh and um we are all we're a small team so um communications is just really at the heart of what we do so I think that, um, you know, if people are involved in our business or I, I imagine that you're asking about that, our team, uh, what is, yeah. So uh, we're all, uh, you know, when, when I walk through a bar and I see the back bar, every bottle and every label that I see is, it's all the people that are behind the label that are making that bottle get there, right? Um, so in my team, like we're all like, feel like I can see every single person in my team behind that bottle and all the work that each person is doing 
to be able to get that bottle to your home or to the bar or to the hotel or wherever it is that you're enjoying Casa Dragones. So I think we feel as a team really proud and hopefully uh, as the company continues to evolve, I hope that the people that uh, are with us or are no longer with us, this continues to be a great experience in their professional career that has, you know, opened other doors for them and uh, and enabled, you know, them to continue with a great history in their in their professional lives. It's a goal of mine, Bertha, to go and see where they work. I think you have a connection as a consumer with with a beverage if you have been to the terroir, if you've been to the place where it grows, whether it's uh, a wine region, whether it's seeing a small town in Scotland that produces the single malt. Uh, I've had this long distance love affair with tequila, but I've never been to where it's it's grown and made. So I, I, I aspire to go and see those blue agave plants in the ground in Jalisco someday. Well, let's make that happen immediately. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I, you, you're going to fall in love more than you already are with the tequila category because once you're standing in a, an agave field and you see these endless hills of these blue agave, beautiful plants um, that changes, that the colors change with the time of the day. You know, if you see sunrise or sunset, uh, it's really something quite unique. And, you know, uh, the agave landscape has a world heritage recognition as a patrimony of the world, uh, just because of these, you know, these, these real beauty and um, tradition in agriculture. So once you see that production process of, of any industry, but particularly of, uh, of, of the wine and spirits industry, I think uh, uh, your relationship with the spirit you know, really goes to another level. Now that is an experience and an opportunity that I'm definitely going to take advantage of. And I'm so grateful to Berta for her time. It's been very cool to listen to and learn from the creator of something that I have loved and enjoyed for a long time. So we thought we would toast Berta and tequila by making a tequila cocktail to close out the episode. Cocktail lists are filled with all these elaborate cocktails made with tequila and mezcal. We've got a couple books. There's a thousand recipes online. We poured over them and chose something called the Red Grasshopper, invented in Australia, of all places. It looked good on paper. Tequila, lime, honey syrup, garnished with paprika. So we tried it. Not good. Not, we're not professional mixologists. Um, Maybe it was the execution. Uh, the kitchen is a mess, by the way. And it just, it didn't work. Didn't work. So instead, we're going to make our fallback very favorite tequila cocktail. Ready for this? Tequila. Blanco. A little fresh lime juice, not from concentrate, just a splash or so and ice. That's probably enough shaking. And another fresh piece of lime and salute. You cannot screw that up. <laughs> We're going to do an episode at some point with a professional mixologist who knows what they're doing, and we can dive into this topic. In the meantime, hope you enjoyed it. Please drink responsibly. 
please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. My thanks to Jennifer Dempster, my co-executive producer, and to Jason Weichel for his editing skills. And cheers to you. Talk to you next time.